So, but I wanted to take a moment real quick. This week is Veterans Day, and I, I hinted at it a little bit earlier about the sacrifice that individuals make when they voluntarily or, or in the past, but not voluntarily, they've been voluntold to serve their nation. It's because of that that we have these freedoms. I mean, even the freedoms to be jerks to each other, you know, and to disagree and be even inappropriate, unfortunately, all that we have the ability to do because of those who serve. And so I want to encourage us on, on Veterans Day in particular just to, to be very mindful of that. In fact, if we've got veterans in your heck, stand up. Former veterans. Huh? All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And of course, the, you know, your, um, you know, your families have, have shared sacrifice as well as your kids or your spouses, your parents have, have entrusted you to be wherever you were in serving the nation. So thank you guys. I wanted to share a couple quotes, and, and Ronald Reagan, God bless him, whether, regardless of what you think about him, always has really good quotes on the military. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I'm sorry, that's the wrong slide. Go ahead and skip that one. <laughs> I threw that in, to be funny. It says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. That's the responsibility. We are blessed to have men and women of all race, age, whatever, that protect our freedom. One more, if you wouldn't. I like this one. Some people live an entire lifetime and wonder if they have ever made a difference in the world. A veteran does not have that problem. And there are some professions that can echo that, and I don't want to take away from those either. God bless you, teachers and medical workers and, and many other things. But, guys, you make a difference. And last one, and I shared this before. The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. And I love this picture. It's slightly cut off, but here's a soldier holding his daughter as he just comes back. If you ever have a chance to see those moments on, on TikTok or Facebook, they're touching the, the, the soldiers coming back, men or women, and surprising their kids or their parents. It's, it's really touching. And we are truly blessed that we have good people, good people that take the sacrifice for us. So again, thank you, veterans. Please take an opportunity to thank them as well. Yeah. Last week, we talked about accountability. That's a, one of those words. Oh, my goodness. Specifically, we, we, had a, we have to take a responsibility for our choices on how we talk and think and, and act, you know, all that, both in good ways and bad. If we do good things, we're responsible. If we do not so good things, we're responsible for that. And we looked at how God uses our conviction. Remember, this is not condemnation. This is, this is that thing that says this isn't right, Okay. And he uses that in discipline in ways that are intended to chisel away at the junk that takes up space in our lives and distracts us from God's work and purposes in our lives. Or, or worse yet, become an unintended altar for us because we, we get hung up on these things. And, and last week's message, really, we had some really good pieces of information. So if you haven't heard it or if you want to go back and review it, it is online. Um, last week's message was you break it. You own it. And it's about taking accountability for the commandments and the rules we break. We talked about the good ones, the thou shalt nots, and also the thou shalts. And so take a moment uh, to listen to that again. And um, like I said, sometimes it's the second or third time that you hear these things that something else comes out to you. 
But one of the last things I did before we left last week was I, I gave you a list of some questions to hold yourself accountable to. There was kind of some 10 questions for men, 10 questions for women, and then a handful of questions for, for couples. And, and these are kind of to hold you accountable for some standards for godly living. And I challenge you to give an extra focus this past week on identifying or having God identify and then asking God to chisel at those things that need work to restore you to the good creation that he has made. And that is you. God has made you good. He has made you to be good. And sometimes he has to chip away some of the stuff to to refine us, to polish us. And as the video and, and as the message shared, this isn't always a comfortable process. And if you answered these questions or even looked at them and gave them some thought, then I hope you found the other side of some of that discomfort as you answered those questions to be a place of peace and confidence as you become more and more like Christ. And if this was something that you struggled with or didn't make time to do, then I want to challenge you again to take these important steps to evaluate the way you're living your life. It was the Apostle Paul in his letter to the early church in Rome that reminded us that each of us will give an account of ourselves for, to God. This is Romans 14, 12. So let's make this our practice here and now while we're in this world of, of giving an account for what we're doing and thinking and behaving and saying. Because we have to own our shortcomings. We're going to do it now and we're going to do it again later. And in the meantime, if we do it and we repent, then we have an opportunity to live a a better life in the meantime. And if this exercise was something that troubled you, it created some questions or doubts or, or was accompanied by any sense of shame. Because remember, shame doesn't come from God. There's a conviction, but that's not shame. It's you're not, he doesn't say you're a bad person. He's saying that's a bad thing. But if it was accompanied by any of that, or if you simply didn't like what you saw in yourself, I want to hear from you. Because the tool of accountability is one that encourages and and the process results in hope, right? Some measure of discomfort is necessary, but if you aren't finding joy through the process, then let's let's make sure to connect this week so that you can truly hear the Lord's heart on this. And more importantly, you can hear the Lord's heart on you. Now, I want to pause for a moment this morning and, and talk to you about my intentions beginning next Sunday and for several weeks as we enter the Advent season. Now, Walmart and Hobby Lobby and Menards have been ready for Christmas since about August. I'm just now getting there. But Advent's coming up here in just a couple weeks, and that is our preparation for the coming of, of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, we, we know that God loves us so much that he sent his son, his only son, right? And... And this is to provide eternal life for us. And not only that, but eternal life for us with him. And if you think about it, and, and certainly if you study it, you'll realize how much the simple verse, John three sixteen, reveals about the character and nature of God. That's how much he loves you, right? For the next few weeks and throughout the Advent season, we're gonna focus on God. We're gonna keep our focus on God the Father and his loving nature. And this is captured well throughout the books of the First Testament. Therefore, I'm gonna be very deliberate in opening our Bibles to the first 39 of the 66 books that it contains. As Christians, we can become so fixated on the good news of the Gospels, and rightly so, but we can become so hung up on the Gospels that, that we miss the rest of the story. All of the stuff that reveals the nature of God, the reason we need a Savior. 
So again, we don't want to miss the rest of the story or the one who loves you enough to create the good news that we spend so much time studying. So we're going to make this a focus of our Bible study times as well. On both Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, we'll be reading and learning about the nature, purposes, and promises of God from the First Testament stories that capture it best. And this sets the stage for the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we're going to learn some things. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a good reminder. But there are a lot of covenants in this First Testament, okay? It wasn't just God and the Israelites. I mean, God made a lot of promises. And we're going to answer some questions like, well, then why do bad things happen to God's people? Why did he make this promise yet these things happen? And we're going to look at the nature of God and we're going to discover some of that stuff. And it starts at the beginning. And honestly, this is a collection of books and it all speaks to each other, okay? The nature of God is revealed. You know, God created things to be good and he loved it. Guess what? Very end, God still loves it. And every story in between is how God loves it and loves us. We're gonna tie it all together. But speaking of hope, how was your hope? There's a lot going on in the world. We've got pandemics, we've got civil unrest, we've got financial strains, we've got all kinds of stuff. And I'm not saying that this isn't the first time this has ever happened in the, in the history of mankind, but, but there's a lot going on. So is your hope, is it steadfast? Are you rock solid, unwavering? Is it, is it resilient? Right? You, you get these dings that happen from time to time in life and, and, and you bounce back from the sting okay? Or do you find um, your faith is really strong and your hope is really present when things are going well, but sometimes it's fleeting when there's struggles or worse when there's uncertainty and you're like, ah, I hope God keeps his promise instead of saying, I have hope because God will keep his promise. It can be difficult to find and also to hold on to hope when the things and, and even the people around us don't give much evidence uh, for one to believe that hope is reasonable or even possible. George Orwell, to go outside of scripture, is credited for saying, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And I've heard it paraphrased this way. It says, when lies become customary, then the truth is revolutionary. Let me say that again. When lies become customary, then truth is revolutionary. That's really a strange thing to say. So I ask you, is it possible for us to ever become so numb or even tolerant of things that aren't good that the good stuff seems unnatural or a surprise, right? And this could be big stuff or it could be small stuff. Like, I'm surprised I got good customer service at the McDonald's drive-thru. Why should that be a surprise, right? Very small example. Is there so much despair and devices for the world today that goodness and hope seem like revolutionary ideas? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But to begin, I'm going to acknowledge some, some truths. One definition of the word hope can be found in Romans 8.24. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, for in this hope we were saved, right? In the hope of Jesus Christ, we were saved. He says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Now, that's true. You know, the purpose of hope and even faith is it requires something beyond the tangible sometimes. 
And what's really interesting is, is one of my classes I'm taking seminary on theology, we're given, this reminds me of elementary school days, we're given five words to define. Now, what's really interesting is we have to just almost absorbently, is that the right word, dear? You're like, what are you trying to say, dear? Okay. Just go through everything we can, every resource to find what that word means. And I've got books and I've got concordances and I've got commentaries and messages and I'm pulling all the stuff up. But I am not to use almost a single word from any of those in what I'm defining. I am supposed to study the nature of whatever this is and then give my own theological definition of what this is. And that's honestly what Bible study is, right? We study what God says about it. And then what is it our understanding? Because if we just read it and we just regurgitate it right back, what have we really learned? So this has been a real good process for, for me to do. And so hope is one of those things where you can't have hope if it's, if it's known. You can't have faith if it's known. And that's why we talk about the stretching of our hope, the stretching of our faith. Because if I say, oh, I really hope this or I have faith in this, and then God meets that expectation because he is faithful. When he does that, well, the next time that thing happens... God's got this. Well, that's true. But now that's a little less hope and a little less, less faith because I'm not relying so much on these things to give me hope. I'm relying on the promises of God and I absolutely should be, but that's not really stretching me, is it? And that's sometimes why these trials and tribulations and things happen because God is trying to grow us and stretch us. And I know I'm not the poster child for, for muscular fitness to tell you that it takes breaking down and bring back, but I read that that is true. Thank you for your laughter. <laughs> One another truth is that hope has an enemy. It does. And I'm not just talking about in Satan itself. There's a lot of things working against hope. Now, Hebrews 10.23 advises that we should hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now, why did we or why would we ever lose hope? It's because we start believing lies that people are bad, that people are selfish or judgmental, that there's, that there's nothing good can happen despite how good you are or all this. And, and yes, we are not saved by our works, but we seem to get in this, we start believing these lies that say everything is just bad or, or there's no good or, again, the goodness is now an exception. In fact, it's the Apostle Paul that reminds us in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he's saying, beware of the worldly focus. You know, he also is the one that says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Don't be so narrow-minded uh, about what is good and, and how God should or does act that you are really missing out on the opportunity to focus on what good is and where good resides. So the world can become an enemy of hope, and I'm not saying the world's a bad place, not at all. But certainly the world can compete with some of the things that give us reason for hope. Another truth is that God is a source, or actually he's the source of hope. 
and he also provides hope. The psalmist writes in numerous places about God's unfailing love as the reason for the hope that this David has. He says, this love is manifested in his blessings, the, the gift of his son. You know, these are all sources of hope, but it's God's unfailing love. It's the root nature of God of loving us that gives us hope. The, Jesus Christ, the birth of the child, the crucifixion, the atonement for sin are all seated in God's love. And we're familiar with the words of Philippians 1.6, right? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Take some hope in that. You're a work in progress. You ever just started working on a project, maybe you're painting a wall. We painted this room, right, in the last six months. And between coats, you're kind of looking at it and you're saying, I don't know. It's a lot of work for what it is. But you aren't done. We are a work in progress. In fact, we don't want to ever be done. You know, we want to keep working on us. And we want God to keep working on us. And we don't want to be looked at or, or judged for where we're at now because we have so much further to go. Even if we are so much further down the road of salvation than we were five weeks, five years, you know, 15 years ago. So I want to warn you not to be very hard on yourself. Don't judge yourself for anything other than a work in progress. The psalmist in 135 writes, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Now one thing I want you to take from this is, Hope existed before Jesus' time on earth because hope is seated in God himself. Hope is seated in God himself. And on that same thing, we can take this verse, Romans 8, 28. We know all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, this talks on a high level about your purpose. And there is this upper story purpose to your life about what God wants you to do. And, and I've, I've said it very uh, loosely this way. Your job is to get to heaven so you can be with God forever and with Jesus forever. And the other part of your job is to take as many people as you can with you, right? That's the job. That's your purpose. Now, what that purpose looks like depends on how he's equipped you and called you and, you know, you have different skills and abilities. And that's why during our offering time, we talked about what is it you're being called to do? It's not about how many dollars you put in the plate or not only that. It's about what skills and abilities has God given you? He's given some people a servant heart. He's given some people this wonderful gift of, of organizing. He's given other people this wonderful gift of, of mercy. And that doesn't mean that everybody is going to go be a missionary across the world. The mission starts right here, and, and we can say the mission field starts when you leave the parking lot or even the pew, but you know what? Look around you. I can tell you from my own life that Sherry's been a missionary to me and, and hopefully vice versa as well because we pick each other up and we complement each other with, with an E because we complete each other. And I can compliment her with an I because happy wife, happy life. That's not scriptural, but it's just good advice. <laughs> You know, one of the things that really stuck with me last week um, on that video I showed, you know, was, it was that interaction between the, the man who was playing himself and then um, 
and I don't remember the, the name of the character, another gentleman who was, who was playing God, and, and the, the video was called God's Chisel, and uh, you can listen to it online or go to YouTube, and it's, it's called God's Chisel, and it was talking about, God, I'm praying for you to remove the things in my life, and, and the guy's complaining, you know, and there's a lot of good tidbits, but one of the, the most poignant words I heard, and, and we listened to it again on the way down, he says, God, I don't, I don't want to let you down. And God said, you were never holding me up, right? Right, yeah, and I laughed at that too, but then I thought about it. It's not my job to hold him down or up. I mean, he is God, he is God, and we lean on him. And, and, and I've used this example a lot, and I, now all the stuff's coming back with a grandbaby, you know, because I'm all excited about getting her to walk. You know, as, as, a, as a child, right, we teach these kids to walk on our fingers, and then at some point, the whole point is to get them to go on our own. But with God, it's the other way. The more we grow, the more we hang on to, the more we rely on and, and lean on him. Is God a crutch? Absolutely. Anybody else not need a crutch in this world? Right. And the truth is life has its ups and downs. There are good days and there are bad days. And sometimes they seem to string together and we have bad weeks or bad months or, or if we're lucky, good days and good weeks and good months. And Jesus promised that that would be the way it is. He said, there will be troubles. Jesus promised that there will be troubles. But he also said, take heart, be courageous because the world has been overcome. The war has been won and there is victory in Jesus. And we get a glimpse of this at Christmas and, and certainly we celebrate it at Easter. But hope can be found in this truth every day. So it's unfortunate if we, if we don't think about it except the, the two times a year because the reason that Christmas is important is because of what happens at Easter. And the reason I have hope every day of the year is because of the resurrection. The reason you have hope is because of what happened at the resurrection. The war has been won, but there's still these daily battles and some of them we have no business even trying to fight. Who convinced us that we need to be doing anything better, harder, differently? The war's been won. We just really need to armor ourselves against these little things that chip away at us, that go after our attention and are after our faithfulness, even after our soul. And it can be really hard to maintain the perspective on this with all the noise in the world. And even the Apostle Paul acknowledged how much effort this takes. And, and Paul didn't start as a, an overly good guy. And we've, we've talked a lot about Paul, yet... He went on to become such a major contributor to the, the New Testament. Look at all the epistles, all the things that he wrote. Paul, this man who was persecuting Christians, and, and God opened his eyes literally, you know, took his side and, and opened his eyes, and he became this huge proponent. And then he equipped others, just like we're supposed to do. Timothy, Titus, others, names that you can read about but don't have the books named after him, people that he equipped to say, okay, we're going to follow that ministry, that great commission, because Jesus left, but he's not done working unless, unless we quit on him. But he wrote, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, again, he wasn't the model citizen, but he went on to do great things through when God worked through him. But even at that, and I would argue that some of what Paul says is pretty, can we say that he's a little arrogant? Does anybody else read Paul as a little arrogant? 
I'm not going to tell him you said it. I see some nods. But he's saying even despite this, he goes, I'm not hung up on that. I'm still looking ahead for the grand prize. And, and if we know and we recognize that Jesus is the victor, then I can tell you that this is the one time that there is strength in receiving that participation medal. He did the winning, and we were there. We participated. And perspective is such a powerful tool. And, and as such, our prayers often need to include things like asking God to help us with our perspective. Stop trying to change this person. And we're really good at saying, Lord, change their heart. Lord, change their perspective, da, da, da. But sometimes it's us that needs it. And if we don't ask, he'll just do it anyway. So sometimes a prayer is God's self in my heart. When you do this, it bolsters your attitude and it deepens your faith and it emboldens your hope. An accurate and a healthy attitude about the problems that we face is, is, or one of us, is, is that we have a purpose. These troubles have a purpose and, and sometimes we're the beneficiaries of, of the purpose and sometimes God's using us and we may never see the, what he's doing. But I hope you believe that. But despair can have a purpose? Sure. Romans 5, 2 through 7, this is again the Apostle Paul writing to the early Christians in Rome. He says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay? But he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Well, that's strange. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, right? Talked about this a second ago. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Wow worth dying for and we boast in our sufferings yeah because the other side of the suffering is this purpose that God has for it in our lives it produces things that are vital to our soul and to our spiritual health and one healthy perspective to have is that that hope can be a response to despair instead of letting problems rob us of our God-given hope of our God-given joy and we're really good at this right we can walk in after having a good day and one call, one email, one, one unhappy exchange with someone can really rob us of our joy. But is it possible that we flip the script and we respond to the problem by claiming our hope in God? Here's this trouble. Here's this financial struggle. Here's this relationship issue. But I have hope in God. I have hope in God. And that's going to be my response to this problem. It's again Paul who writes... Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Wow. You know, we, we often read Isaiah, especially around the time of Easter. We've got the story of, of I'm sorry, of, of Christmas. We have the story from Luke and then Isaiah and, and these wonderful prophetic messages that bring hope. In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
those who hope in the Lord. That's what it is. It's the hope that gives us a strength. And the hope is seated in the goodness and love of God. One other thing I want to say, and that's that fear and faith are opposites. You can't be fearful and timid and have faith or, or hope or because they replace each other. They compete with each other. If I truly have hope, if I know that God is in control and I absolutely trust him, then what have I to fear? And if I am harboring some fear in my life, then that's taking up space that should be occupied by the hope I have. Another thing that uh, the purpose that, that some of these things have, this distress and these things in our life, is that they can be an example for us to have, be for others. Right? It can be an inspiration or, or a reflection of God as, as we see through people facing things with hope. Now, we would never want those things for ourselves, but have you ever seen someone go through something and go, Wow the hope they have, that they sing with joy as they're going through this thing or they're waiting for this prognosis or the diagnosis and that they're praying all the more. Wow, wow. Your suffering and your hope and how you respond to it can be an inspiration for others, not because of who you are, but because of who God is and the hope you have in him. Let me share with you an example I experienced yesterday. And Sherry and I were, well, she was organizing this thing where a lot of the, the districts on the east side of Kansas City were going into getting their COVID boosters. And, and it was, it wasn't even organized chaos. It was just flat out organized. I mean, God, really, whew, it just went fantastic. And, you know, I guess when you're dealing with teachers, they're all morning people, whether they it's clean to be or not, because they're all up there dealing with those kids at that early in the morning. But they came through. And I remember about partway through the day, a lady came up, and I'm getting their name and kind of checking them in. And then they're doing this little thing to get back to where the, the, the nurses were giving their shots. And on her steering wheel was pasted this little card, and it says, give thanks. And, of course, I just immediately just kind of said, okay, tell me the story. And, and, and she was saying, well, it's really twofold. One, she wanted it directly in front of her because she wanted to remember to give God thanks for everything she was going through. And, and maybe you have something like that in your visor or something like that, and, and that's a great place for it. But she said, when I get to the point where I'm frustrated, I'm about ready to honk the horn, right? I look at that and I say, give thanks. I said, that a powerful example? Now, she didn't put that there for the guy who signed people in to get a COVID shot to look at that. That's an example of, of what you can do. And I just, I love that example. I haven't done it yet myself, but, but that's going to stick with me for a while. The other thing is that, that this can do is it can be a manifestation of your hope when you do this. The psalmist writes, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. That's, that's the response to God's faithfulness as hope. That's Psalm 71, 14. And the psalmist, again, I said this earlier, throughout psalms, the psalmist, they say that, that people put their hope in God's unfailing love. God is not only a reason for hope, but the source of hope we have. And I want to tell you that 
that I don't want you to be focused on the wrong thing. And last week we were talking about accountability and how we have responsibility to our Christian brothers and sisters to hold them accountable, but not to really check your motive on some of these things. And I won't dive into it too much, but, but as I was preparing for this message, I came across a place in scripture, and this is where Jesus is approaching Jericho. And a blind man was sitting on the side of the road begging. And, and when he heard the crowd going by, you know, he asked people, what's, what's going on? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the, the blind man said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and you know, when Jesus is surrounded by the crowd and his disciples and, and well-intentioned, they're, you know, they're, they're passing through town because they're on the way to the, the next spot of ministry. And, and this man cries again, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, I want you to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight and your, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all people saw us, they also praised God. But what I want to point out is the disciples who were great, great tools and partners of Jesus in his ministry, long after Jesus had left them, they were saying, you know, hey, we got to keep moving. You know, we're getting to Jericho. We got, we got people to see and people to save, you know. Let's not get so hung up on some of these things that, that we, our focus becomes so narrow that when Jesus or God puts an opportunity in our path, like, that's not really what I had in mind for what I wanted to serve God today, right? Let's be open to that because even the disciples, the men that travel with Jesus, had a propensity to do that from time to time. As I prepare to wrap up this morning, I want to revisit that quote. When lies become customary, then the truth is revolutionary. Now we know the source of the truth and we know the master of lies. And we don't always recognize the truth because of the power or the power that it holds because we're distracted by the subtle nature of lies, right? You aren't good enough. And they're usually quiet. You're a disappointment to your family, to your friends, to God. You know. And then there's the lies that the world teaches us to believe. And I'm just going to kind of put some of these out there that, that we kind of think, right? If I could just blank, then my life would be amazing, whatever that is. But the truth is, let's, the truth is, if I could just surrender, then my life would have joy or peace. Or maybe we should convince us, if I had more time, I would do this. How about if we replace that with a truth that says, I will make time to live a missional life. Or how about if I say or do blank, people will think I'm stupid or crazy. And sometimes fear will, will paralyze us. And, and sometimes that's the subtlety of Satan's lies. It's, instead of knocking us off track, he'll just freeze us in our tracks. So let's replace that with truth that says, if I say or do godly things, it's not just that people will think I'm good. God will see me as the good that he created me to be. What if we said everything's fantastic? That's not true. Everything's awful. That's not true. We need to call upon through that says there are troubles in the world. Take heart. And let's relish and thank God for the good moments and learn from the bad ones. Let's develop that perseverance and that character and the faith. Let's stop believing the lie that change isn't possible or that we're solely responsible for or that we should be changing someone else. 
Let's replace it with truth that says, when I stop trying to change, then God has room to make the change he needs to make. So what is truth? What is the truth? And that is, there's hope for salvation. When despair, dysfunction, divisiveness, all that had become so commonplace that hope becomes a revolutionary thought, then let's be revolutionaries. Proverbs 13, 12, I love these little, almost like fortune cookie verses. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So I say, let's claim our hope now. And I'd like to speak this benediction and then let's take our time for prayer. This is from Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's make that our prayer. Would you join me? Creator God, you didn't create the problems in the world, but you did create the world. Lord, sometimes you, you allow things to happen because you need to move some pieces around that we may not be willing or able to move around on our own. And sometimes, Lord, that means that, that we have to go through some discomfort, some uncertainty. Lord, help us to see these with your perspective, that these are opportunities to grow and bolster our faith, to develop perseverance, and to take that not only as an improvement in our own character, but as an example for those around us. God, let us always turn to you in times of despair and ask that your will be done. And we learn whatever valuable lesson it is that we learn, need to learn so that we may become part of your disciples. Father, we thank you for who you are, for who your son is. And in a world where it just seems like sometimes hope is lost or, or just muddled, when we become so concerned about what other people think about us that we, that we just want to please others and not please you, Lord, let us take this strong revolutionary step and get back to the very basics of your word and redeem ourselves and claim those promises that you have wonderful blessings in store for us. Among those is an eternity in heaven with you. We thank you for that hope. Lord, as I close out in prayer, I just thank you for all that are here this morning, those who listen online, that we have this ability within this wonderful nation to worship you in our special way as you have directed us to seek you out in all we do. We thank you again for the sacrifice of your son and the hope that he gives us. In his name we pray, amen.